It's the Easter season, which means we can still say it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The space between us. The space between us. It emerges for all kinds of reasons. For some, it's because you just don't see eye to eye politically, to put it nicely. And so you choose not to be around each other. Sometimes the space exists because you, you don't share the same faith, you have very different worldviews, and so you choose not to spend time with each other. Other times, it's because there's pain from the past that is still hovering over and influencing the present, and it just kind of pushes the two of you apart. You know, it emerges for a thousand different reasons, but the end result is always the same. This, this relationship that should be a source of joy for you becomes this thing that you dread. Where there should be closeness, there is space between the two of you. Now, before I dive into this, I, I want to just say right off the bat that sometimes the space between two people is a necessary thing. Sometimes the distance between two people exists because the dynamic is too toxic one or both of the people are too unhealthy, and the space between those two people actually serves to keep people safe. Sometimes that's the case. And if that's the case, know that that's okay. That's a good thing. But as we dive into this series, I want you to know that that's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about are the instances, much more numerous, where the space between you and somebody else in your life that, that you love and you cherish, that you should have a good relationship with, more often than not, that, that space that exists between the two of you is a result of mutual dysfunction or simply the, the sinful, broken dynamic that exists in and among human beings. Sometimes the space between you shouldn't exist, and yet it does. And what we're going to talk about in this series is, is how we can deal with the space between us and somebody else, because if you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should seek to eliminate the discord and the dysfunction. You should seek to bridge the gap between you and the other person. And what we're going to talk about is ways in which you can do that that might bring about some hope for a healthier dynamic between the two of you. And perhaps unsurprisingly, our model in this discussion is Jesus. We're going to look at different things that Jesus did to, to close the gap between humanity and heaven that was created by our sin and our dysfunction. And the first thing we're going to look at is very simple, but perhaps the hardest thing we're going to talk about in this whole series. And the first thing is this, that Jesus Christ chose presence over distance. He chose to be present with us rather than distant from us. He chose to be with us rather than far from us. When you look at the whole story of God's activity with humanity, you see that it really is a one-way love. It's always God towards us. It's always him pursuing us. Him chasing us, him revealing himself to us. He, he doesn't force us to go hunting for him or to try and find him or, or to work our way up to him in any capacity. I mean, you look at the story of everything that God has done throughout history in relation to, to humanity, it's always him coming to us. 
And of course, the pinnacle of that is Jesus Christ, God's own son, taking on human flesh and joining us here as one of us. But not only that, perhaps his greatest miracle is not merely the incarnation that he showed up here, but that once he showed up and saw who he was dealing with, he actually stayed. Perhaps Jesus' greatest miracle is taking on flesh, showing up, meeting us, and not just immediately turning around and being like, oh, this was a mistake. I'm going to go back to the right hand of the Father. Because you know how we treat one another. And that's how we treated Jesus. We misunderstood him. We rejected him. We abused him. We abandoned him. We denied him. Ultimately, on Good Friday, we killed him. And yet, knowing that all of that dysfunction was going to happen, apparently, it didn't deter Jesus. He was like, no, I'm still going to go be with them. He chose presence over distance. And we get a beautiful little picture of that in the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew tells his own story where Jesus is walking around one day and he, he catches Matthew out of the corner of his eye. Matthew, who was, by first century standards, a very problematic person. He sees Matthew and he calls out to him and he draws Matthew to himself. And then fast forward like a couple of hours later, Jesus is hosting a party at Matthew's house with a whole bunch of other Matthews. And of course, Jesus' enemies see this. They see who Jesus has chosen to be present with. Because they were like, no, no, there's certain people you have to keep the distance from. And Jesus was not about that. He's like, no, I'm going to be present with the Matthews of the world. They see this. They have a problem with it. Let me read this to you. When the Pharisees saw this, that Jesus was with the wrong people, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because that's the whole dynamic of God. He goes toward the dysfunctional, broken people. He chooses presence over distance. It's the story of God. And so, of course, when we think about the, the distance that exists in relationships that are important to us that should not be there, that we should seek to try and fix and remedy, the first thing but the hardest thing is to say, all right, if this is what Jesus Christ has done for me, maybe this can also flow through me. My first step is to choose to be present instead of distant to move toward this person, to choose to like actually be in the same space with this person and to share some time with this person. Now, what it means is coming to a determination that avoiding isn't helping. It isn't, um, it isn't sending the message you think it's sending. It isn't keeping the peace. In fact, it's... it's it's putting off resolution and it is enabling the dysfunctional dynamic. I think a lot of times we choose to separate ourselves from other people because we think our absence is going to send a very specific message. And yet we never actually speak the message we think it sends. Now, now certainly that's a choice. That's called setting boundaries. That's, that, that's a very healthy thing. If you say, I'm going to step back because I don't condone this, or I don't want to be party to this, or I don't think this is healthy, and I don't want to be a part of that. That's a very healthy thing to do, to step back for a communicated reason. But very often, we don't have the guts of the maturity to do that. We just step back from the person that we're at odds with, and we make the assumption wrongly that our mere absence is going to send a very specific message, that our absence is going to send the message that we don't condone their behavior, or that our absence is going to send the message that we are, we are sick and tired of the dynamic. But let me tell you this. Here's what I've learned in my experience, that your, your absence does not send the message that you think it does. 
Because human beings have this incredible ability to tell the story they want to hear. And what happens is you step back, and in the absence created, they insert their own story that reinforces all the things they were already thinking about you. And then, by the way, you do the same thing. Isolation tends to leave us alone with the very same attitudes and ideas that, that kept us and got us at odds in the first place. And it tends to make us more entrenched in those things. When it comes to these kind of broken relationships, absence typically does not make the heart grow fonder. It makes the heart grow hardened. And so what we're left with is either that heart continuing to harden or something better taking place. And the better thing shown to us by Jesus is to make the choice to be present rather than distant. Uh, my, my mother is a fantastic woman. I love her to pieces. Um, she had an interesting parenting style at times, though, I will say this. I can't blame her. She had her hands full with me and my brothers. When, when the bickering and the fighting would get to like a really bad place, she would threaten us. Not, not with like a grounding or taking away the video games. Uh, she, she would threaten us like this. She would say, boys, if this doesn't stop, I'm going to make you stand nose to nose and bear hug each other. And sure enough, one time, me and my older brother, we were going at it. She stopped everything. She got our attention. She pulled us together. And nose to nose, we had to stand with like tears and snot running down our face. And she made us bear hug each other for an uncomfortable amount of time. And I'll tell you what, I love my older brother. But, but literally hugging a bear would have been better than that. Now, the reason I bring that up is because... I know that as I have this conversation with you and I talk about you bridging the gap between you and that person, choosing to be present rather than distant, immediately your mind starts to go to this place. What are you going to make me do? Are you going to make me talk about my feelings with them? Are you going to make us like braid each other's hair? Am I going to have to apologize because I'm not ready to do that? No one's going to have to bear hug the other person. Again, this is where Jesus is so instructive. What does Jesus do? Yes, when he shows up, he performs miracles. He raises the dead. He, he confronts the corrupt authorities. He, 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 he offers teachings that, that mesmerize. But that was only part and a portion of the time. The vast majority of the time, what is Jesus doing? He's doing what he did with Matthew. He is encountering a broken world, and he is showing it simple, everyday kindness. He is closing the gap, and he's just filling whatever remains with grace. Simple, everyday grace. He's, 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 he's showing the other person dignity and respect treating them like a human being. He walked around showing simple kindness, simple grace to all of the people that the rest of the world said, you are justified if you keep your distance. And yet he refused. He showed very simple grace to the people around him. You close the gap and you fill whatever remains with grace. And that's the charge that's the challenge in front of us as well. I'm not saying that you need to go sit with them and spend time with them and show up and say, look, I was sorry I was wrong, okay? Because maybe you weren't. 
I'm not saying that you have to show up and say, look, I forgive you, finally, you're welcome. Because maybe you don't. Maybe you're not there yet. Forgiveness is a journey you walk, not a switch that you flip. And that's a whole different conversation. In, in the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a, to a dysfunctional church. He's writing to a, to a young, energetic church that, that had a whole lot of dysfunction in it and among its people. And so he spends a section of the letter talking about how to just be nice to one another. There was a whole lot of space between people where there shouldn't be space. And, and listen to what he says. Romans chapter 12, he says, Look, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. The key to harmony, Paul says, is putting aside your desire to show up with a curse in hand and to give them what you think they deserve. Instead, you show up and you meet the other person where they are. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's grace. Another way to think of grace is an attitude or an act where when you offer it to the other person, you send the signal that simply says, I am, I am for you. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. Grace is an attitude or an act that says, I am for you, or I am for us. I am for this moment, not getting awful. That, that in and of itself is an act of profound grace. Look, I, I, think, I think very often we have anger fantasies. When, when we are sideways with another person and there's a space between us and our brother-in-law or us and our mother or us and our spouse... We, we are off on our own, and in that distance, we have all these anger fantasies. And an anger fantasy is all the things you're going to say, but you'll never say, when you see them again. Or it's all the things you think that, that they're finally going to apologize for, or finally going to admit to, but they're never going to apologize for, and they may never admit to, when you see each other. But you like to scratch that itch. You like to indulge that fantasy, right? And then the problem is that that fantasy becomes your new expectation and your new reality. And so as you ponder the idea of closing the gap with that other person, you think, well, if that, if that can't happen, then it's not worth it. You need to lower the bar. Jesus is an excellent model for us here. If you, if you share space and you share time with this person, I think you should set aside the expectation that they're going to come and confess all the terrible things they've ever done or that they're going to somehow recognize all the ways in which they annoy you. Or, or that you're going to be able to just get it all out on the table and talk about it. Not saying that shouldn't be a goal, but I'm saying that for the sake of just closing the gap, you should, you should lower the standard, lower the expectation a little bit. We're talking basic, human, Christ-like grace. I think you should set the standard like this. I'm going to go and have dinner with them, mm, have dinner with them, and we're going to keep our collective temperatures below 500 degrees. That's an act of grace. I'm going to go and I'm going to spend time with them and I'm going to make sure in some small way, as, in so much as it depends on me, that they leave this encounter knowing that I appreciate them. Or I'm going to make sure that when this encounter is over, in so far as it depends on me, because I can't control everything, that no matter what we're talking about, whether it's Baylor winning the national title or Biden being president, that they feel heard by me. 
That's what I'm talking about. You show up. You show grace that says, look, I'm just for you. I'm for me. I'm for us. You close the gap and you fill it with basic kindness and grace. That's how we get started. Now, again, I know that some of us are listening to this and and you're thinking of the person who's on the other side of that chasm. You're thinking of your brother-in-law. You're thinking of your father. You're you're thinking of your coworker, And you're you're thinking to yourself, Matt, um, I have zero grace left to give. Like, zero. I am completely empty. If I were to even try this, I would show up and I would scream. I can't even fake it. Don't ask me to. You know, sometimes the dysfunction can go on for so long or the annoyance can continue for so long, whatever it is, that you are, you are emptied of all grace and positive feelings towards that person. You have nothing. And if you're in that place when you think of this person, like, I have nothing good to give them, nothing good to give them, that doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're empty. You can't give what you don't possess. But here's the thing. If you don't possess it, it's time to request it. If you don't have the grace on the inside to pour through you to this other person, you need to request it from the outside so that it can fill you again. It's okay to be empty. It's not okay to stay that way and then use it as justification for letting things continue to be broken and dysfunctional around you. If you are empty, my suggestion is that you reach out for grace and mercy and let it fill you. We receive, as people of faith, grace and mercy from two directions. We receive it from people and we receive it from our Father in heaven. I suggest that you reach out to your tribe, your community, whoever that is, the people who love you and understand you, who forgive problem after problem from you, who pour compassion on you. You gather them together. You let them show you grace. You... You talk about how dysfunctional and broken this relationship is, and you let them pour grace and mercy upon you, and let that fill you up. You might be surprised how high that can fill you when other people are around you saying, we're for you, we love you, we get it, we're here for you, grace upon grace to you. But then also, I encourage you to fold your hands, bow your head, and go at it with God in regard to this person. To pray an angry prayer that says, Lord, I know that Pastor Matt told me I need to bridge the gap and go be with this person, but I got nothing. I can't stand them. If they walk down the aisle of church, I'm going to trip them. I might scream at them. I don't want anything to do with them. That's where I am, God. Pray that prayer. Pray it. But then with that, I want you to pray this. And God, show me grace too. Forgive me too. Pour mercy on me too because I know that I need it. And then be confident that when you pray that prayer, God's response to you is always this. To declare to you that because his son has chosen presence over distance, has chosen to live, to die, and to rise for you, God the Father forgives you for all the things you fail to do and are unwilling to do to bridge the space with others. And hold tight to that grace. Let it fill you up so that it might pour out. You can't, you can't give what you don't possess. It's okay to be empty for a moment, but it's not okay to stay that way. 
be filled up. Let me give you a couple of, uh, a couple of really kind of practical, basic tips for how to be present with this person when there's a space there, all right? Uh, three very simple things, right? Uh, the first is that you need to name it, you need to own it, and you need to uh, grace it. Let me explain these. One of the reasons that there's space between you and this other person is because my guess is you're afraid that if you actually share space and you share time with this person, you're afraid that something bad's going to happen. Because typically something bad does happen. Anything from a, a full-blown fight to you just walking away feeling crushed and judged and bothered. And you don't want that. But, but here's the first thing you need to do. You need to recognize, you need to name the dysfunctional dynamic between the two of you. What tends to go wrong when it goes wrong? You see, there's this truth in relationships where unless you can name the dynamic, you can't tame the dynamic. You cannot tame what you can't name. So first thing is, what is the thing that happens between the two of us? And then you can proactively, in your own heart and mind, seek to avoid it. Second thing is, you have to own your part of this. The truth is that dysfunction happens in a system. Now, they might own 99% of the dysfunction, but that still makes you part owner. What do you own? What have you brought into, the, into this dynamic that has gotten it to where it is today? Do the work internally to say, look, here's my part. Bring that to this encounter. And then lastly, you've got to grace the whole thing. And that, that's what I talked about earlier. Decide in advance what the kindness, the grace that you're going to seek to accomplish is. And, and keep it doable, keep it winnable, keep it small, keep it basic. And commit to offering that to embodying that, to giving that when you're with this person. Name the dynamics, you contain the dynamic. Own it. It's not just them, it's also you. And then be determined to enter in with grace as your only agenda. What will it look like? You know, Jesus has a vision for the end of all things. He, he has a vision for, for the end of, of history uh, it's, it's the moment when, when he has returned and the world is recreated and every human body is resurrected and, and glorified and we're all together and every dysfunction has been purged from the world. There's no more death. There's no more war. There's no more robocalls asking about car warranties. All the bad stuff is gone. And in almost every case where, where Jesus paints the picture of the end, the picture is of a feast. Whether it's in Isaiah or it's in one of Jesus' parables where he describes a banquet or it's in the book of Revelation at the, at the end of the Christian scriptures, the picture of the end of all things is a feast. It's a celebration. You know what, honestly, you know what it is? It's a table. It's, it's one giant table filled with, with food and wine and all the good stuff of life, but, but it's a table with, with God at the head of the table and all of us around the table. I'm at the table. You're at that same table. And the person on the other side of that space that exists right now, they're at the table too. 
You heard it a minute ago in Isaiah. Let, let me read it again. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, even them, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Jesus' picture is of all of us at the same table together, elbow to elbow, enjoying the presence of God and of one another. Everybody, including that person. We're all together. Theologically, what we believe is that the death of Jesus Christ reconciled humanity to God. The relationship between all of humanity and God is now right this way because of the death of Jesus Christ. But it's only at the return of Jesus, when that table is set, so to speak, that humanity will be reconciled completely to one another, where we're sitting side by side with smiles on our face and drink in hand and our God in front of us. It's at that moment, in the very end, when we will not only be reconciled to him, but we will be reconciled to each other. And when you read the scriptures, what you see is that God's heart is full of longing for that day when there is not just presence this way, but there is presence instead of distance among all of us this way. And everything God has been doing since the beginning of time has been working toward that day when this relationship is right and these relationships are right. And his first move in that giant story was to be present, to reject distance, and to show up. Are you dissatisfied? with the space between the two of you. If you are, then I encourage you to take a cue from our Lord who is not satisfied with the space between all of us and him either. Even though the road toward total reconciliation may still be a long way away, it starts by just showing up and seeing what happens when you hand them grace. More next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we confess that though this sounds very easy for those of us who have these relationships in our lives where there's a space between us, where there really shouldn't be a space, that, that the notion of just being present with them, sharing time with them, and offering simple, simple grace to them um, can seem overwhelming. And yet we know it is worthwhile because we've seen what you have done in Jesus Christ. And we know that we want to be like him and respond to his love with a similar kind of love. But, Father, we are going to need your strength in order to do it. We are going to need your spirit in order to embody it. Help us right now to picture that person who is far, who should be close. And give us the strength, the words, the willingness 
to offer grace and to just walk into that room. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.